Let's pray together. Speak, Lord, for your servants here. Give us ears to listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A month or so ago, a couple months ago probably, when we started planning our Lenten series, we decided to preach a series on spiritual disciplines. And so we began the process of trying to figure out what disciplines we wanted to bring before you. Father Peter had uh, selected a couple already in his mind, and he was intent to preach on them, uh, uh, confession and giving. Uh, He assigned one to Father Bob, who preached on uh, fasting, and we assigned one to Bishop Keith. And Bishop Keith is going to speak on evangelism next week. I was left with a fifth, and I know I would preach one of these Sundays. So I started deliberating in my mind and praying about what discipline do I want to, want to teach on and preach on. And I thought about it, and finally I came to a staff meeting and announced my topic. And I said, listening. And the staff sat there for a moment and says, what is he thinking? <laughs> Maybe internally, maybe out loud, but they were wondering. And they had a reason to wonder, because if you go to the books that have the list, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, there are 12 disciplines listed, and it's not in the list. If you go to The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, and there are 15 disciplines listed, and it's not in the list. So what is listening, and how does it fit? What was he thinking? It was a valid question. When I told my wife Debbie what I was going to preach on, listening... She had the same question. What are you thinking? (laughs) She didn't maybe say this out loud. She probably said it internally, or it could have been my conscience, because (laughs) where her question came from was not so much, it's not one of the disciplines, it was listening? What are you going to say about listening? (laughs) What do you know about listening? And again, a valid question. When it came to last week and I was down to the nitty-gritty of preparing my sermon, I asked myself a question. What was I thinking (laughs) when I committed to listening and trying to work through these texts and discern what it is? And I just pray and hope that at the end of my sermon, you're not sitting there saying, what was he thinking? (laughs) So let's begin. I will begin by admitting right up front that listening is not in the list of those who make those lists. And yet when you look through the list, and you go take time to look at Dallas Willard's list and, and uh, Richard Foster's list, I think one of the things you're going to find is that underlying all the disciplines is really the discipline of listening. I think it is the underlying discipline of all the disciplines, listening to God. So what is it we're trying to do? when we listen to God? Are we sitting there waiting for an audible voice where God speaks to us like he did to Samuel in our text this morning? Are we waiting for a still, small voice that speaks inside of us? Possibly. Are we looking for an intuition, an impression, as we prayed earlier, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us? Perhaps. At the end of Paul's exhortation in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, Find out what pleases the Lord or try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In reality, it's just saying, listen up. Paul ended his exhortation with these words, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And again, I think listening is in focus. And I'll return to that passage a little bit later. So where do we begin? Let's begin by definition. 
And by definition, we start off by saying, hearing is not equal to listening. <laughs> hearing is physiological. It's something about letting sound waves come into your ears and you somehow hear them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're listening. So what is listening? Webster defines listening as to pay attention to a sound. It's not just hearing the sound, but paying attention to it. To hear something with thoughtful attention, to give consideration. I would define it as the capacity to focus upon, to be present to, and to, sell, and to sense the full meaning of another person. To focus upon, be present to, and sense the full meaning of another person. Our Old Testament reading this morning from 1 Samuel 16 sort of gives us a narrative glimpse as to what listening looks like. And let me walk you through that from that perspective. Samuel was given a very important mission uh, to go and uh, find the next king of Israel. And it was a dangerous mission because Saul was a jealous king. And if he thought anybody was going to be rising up as king after him, he would kill him and kill the one who was seeking him. And so Samuel was on this dangerous mission. And what you find here is he's walking along and he says, uh, you know, God gives him some instruction and partial revelation and says, go to the house of Jesse because I've chosen among his sons the next king of Israel. Well, Samuel had that vision. He had that assignment. He starts going, but he also realizes in his head that that's not a complete revelation. Jesse has eight sons. And so what do I do? How do I discern which one is the son who is there? And so as soon as Jesse gets there, what's kind of fascinating in the text is that Samuel misidentifies who the king is. He saw the oldest son who was tall of stature and handsome, and he says, ha, ah, he must be the one. And God corrects him audibly and speaks to him and said, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel, as a wise prophet that he was, he adjusted himself and began listening in a different way to what was going on in this situation. And we're not told all the way through this, but six other sons come before uh, uh, Jesse and before Samuel, and Samuel knows. He knows that the Lord has not chosen them. Was God speaking audibly every time? The text doesn't tell us. Do you know in his spirit, somehow, as he began to concentrate upon the heart rather than the appearance, that in his spirit he just knew, no, not that one, no, not that one, no, not that one, and going through all six sons. He finally gets to the end of his list, and uh, he knew in his heart that, that these individuals would be individual of the heart. And he gets to the end, and he's in this listening posture, and he says, it hasn't happened yet. And so he asked Jesse, sort of exasperated, is there any other, any other sons? And Jesse almost dismissively says, well, I've got one more son, but he's out watching, watching the sheep. And Jesse wasn't able to listen to God either in terms of what God was doing. And so Samuel says, Send for him, bring him. We will not eat, we'll not do anything else until he comes. And so when David does come in from the field, our text does a very interesting turn. I don't know whether you noticed it or not. But it describes David this way, not anything about his heart, but it says, now he was ready, he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. That's all outward appearance, right? And the text tells us that's what it was. And somehow, David is a guy who had it all. He had the appearance, and he also had the heart. And so God spoke again. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. I go through that story just to amplify for us all the difficulty it is to really hear God's voice. Obviously, it's easy when God speaks with an audible voice and he says something very clear, and boom, you've got it. Okay, marching orders, here we go. But if he's not speaking audibly, how do you hear? And if a prophet of Israel, one of the greatest prophets of Israel, had difficulty discerning the will and the mind of God, how do we do it on a regular basis? What is our task? We have some cues here. God looks at heart, right? He looks at hearts of individuals. And so God has a focus upon what is the intent of the heart and the purity of the heart. And we also have the sense that God is willing to speak and to make his will discernible to those who are in a posture of listening. And as Jesse entered into that posture of listening, waiting upon God and sensing a discernment of the heart, God was guiding him and God was leading him. And so he knew, he knew I think as we talk about listening to God, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> it's a lifelong experience that we probably never master. But as I began reading over these texts that we have assigned for us today in our lectionary readings, I think there are several hints within this passage of how we can posture ourselves in a position where we can hear God's voice and hear God's voice in different ways and in different postures of heart. And maybe in the ultimate of all things, it all becomes one as we grow in this capacity to listen. But I think as you look at these texts, there are three positions or postures that we can practice and start practicing now in how we can hear God's voice. The first is walking in and listening to God's life. The second is walking in and listening to God's love. And the third is walking in and listening to God's light. First, walking in and listening to God's life from Psalm 23. When you start reading Psalm 23, it's a wonderful psalm. We sometimes only use it at funerals, and I'm glad we read it on a day like today because it's a normal and a wonderful psalm that applies, I think, more so to life than it does to death. And it's chock full of words that give us a descriptor that life is lived in relationship to God. God is my shepherd, and as I walk through life and as I go on the course of my life, God is there with me, and he's my shepherd. And you start reading the verbs that are in this passage where uh, David is talking about being led by the shepherd beside still waters and in paths of righteousness, walking before him and with him in times of danger with his, the comfort of God's rod and staff, being anointed by God and overflowing with plenteousness, and all this with the goodness and mercy of God following us every day of our lives. It's no coincidence that this wonderful psalm is filled with natural phenomena. You have green pastures and still waters and paths and valleys in the wilderness. I don't think this is just metaphor. I think this is reality. Because God's life is all about us. God animates all of life. And we walk in the midst of God's life. Not to say that God is these things, but he animates all things. Our texts in uh, various portions of Paul's writings in John and even Hebrews, it talks about the fact that uh, God created all things, Christ created all things, and he holds all things together. He upholds all things, the entire universe, by the word of his power, animating all things. And so as you walk in your life and you walk out, I, I love hiking. I was on my little over a seven-mile hike on, on uh, Friday, 
And as I was out there, the, the whole... The whole landscape, I know it's, it's beautiful right now. Go for your, a, a desert walk if you can. Uh, because right now we've had so much moisture that the flowers are, just, the desert's just a bloom with flowers. I passed one flower and it caught my breath. I, go, I went, you know, it was beautiful. Uh, it was a, I, I don't even know what it was, a desert cactus that had a purple bloom on the top of it. I don't, can somebody tell me what, I don't know what it was. Somebody can tell me. But I, it, what was it? Hedgehog cactus. Okay, I'll remember that next time, maybe. <laughs> but it was beautiful, and it took my breath. And as I looked up across the mountain, I just climbed down, all these uh, bristle bush, right? Okay, brittle bush. And uh, all these bushes with yellow flowers. I said, it looks like a, a, a thousand bridesmaids you know, decking the, the hillside. And what was it? It was the life of God. I was walking in the life of God, recognizing God's creativity and God, God's upholding all things, bringing things to life. Is that God? No, it's not God, but it, God animates it all. He makes it alive. He gives life and breath to all things. In him we live and move and we have our being. And so as you practice living your life, not just out in nature, but even looking at the people beside you, Every person here is created by God and animated by God and made in the image of God. This is especially true for those who know Jesus Christ and know God through Christ and have the Spirit of Christ in them and Christ who is our life living in us and through us, as Galatians says, makes us alive. And so what is our first discipline? It is just to walk in and listen to God's life that's in us and surrounds us and we immerse ourselves into that recognizing mentally and emotionally and in the depth of our being that God animates all things and everything alive is designed to give him glory and praise and honor and to announce his kingdom. For the other two, we come to our passage in First, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. And you have this language of walk in, walk in love, walk as children of the light. And there's a whole lot more going on in those two expressions than just the mechanics of walking. That would be impossible for someone perhaps who's in a wheelchair if that was the command. You have to walk. You have to be able to walk in order to do this. No, there's something greater going on. The passage begins by expressing and commanding us to imitate God in all of his ways, in God's character, and to follow him. This was impossible in a large sense until Jesus Christ came on the scene and showed us who God was in human flesh. It was impossible to walk in God's love and to walk in God's light until Jesus came because he showed us how to love and he showed us how to walk and how to live in light. And so as we come to this wonderful passage, we have this sense of walking and listening to God's love, and walking in and listening to God's light. And how do we do this? Walking in love involves more than just doing acts of love or not doing acts of hatred. It involves centering yourself, centering yourself in the love of God, immersing yourself in the love of God, sensing God's gaze upon you as you gaze upon him, and he gazes upon you as his beloved. Do you believe that you're beloved of God? Do you believe that you are loved of God supremely? 
You center yourself in that love of God. Listen to Jude as he commands toward the end of his, his, one, uh, his short letter. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that look like? <laughs> keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What would it look like to walk in love? to gaze upon the loving face of God, to ask yourself as you go through your day saying, what would love look like in this instance? What would love do in this instance? And how can I embody that in my presence in the world? To walk in and listen to God's light, the light that Christ gives us. Our gospel text tells us, Jesus declared, I'm the light of the world. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Then when he departs, he says, you are the light of the world. Wow, that's a big mission that we've been given. What does it mean to walk in God's light? It's more than just not walking in darkness, not walking in immorality, as the text talks about so clearly. It's a posture, again, that centers itself in God's light. Everything that is good and right and true centers itself in the light of Jesus Christ, the light that dispels darkness and puts evil to flight both within ourselves and around us. John 1 is a beautiful passage. In him the word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Sounds very similar to Titus 2, right? The grace of God has appeared. The light has come. The life has come. Live in that light. Center yourself in that light. And as we center in that listening posture, in life and love and light, we begin to hear it. We hear life. We hear love. We hear light, even though nothing audible is coming through our ears and touching our eardrums. We hear it. That's more mystical than I used to be. <laughs> but it's how we live before Almighty God. There's a proper balance that comes to life and light as they work together. I think love uh, exemplifies the attributes of God's grace and light amplifies the attributes of God's glory. We sometimes call God's attributes of grace those aspects that are imminent where he's near to us in his compassion, his love, his care, his mercy, his gentleness, his benevolence. God's attributes of glory reflect his transcendence that he's greater than us and he's far expansive than anything in his created realm. And reflects his disposition towards creation, his holiness, his eternality, his infinity, the omnis, omnipresent, omnipotent. Walking in love, this gives us care and compassion that we need as we face all the people who in our lives who are both beautiful and ugly all around us. As we walk in light, it gives us the capacity to discern what is good and right and true, both within ourselves and outside of ourselves. To walk in love without light is to lack discernment. To walk in light without love is to lack 
compassion. But when they're both together, they're beautiful as we live our lives before God. In light, God exposes the brokenness and the fallenness and sinfulness of humanity, the unfruitful works of darkness. He does not try to recast or reclassify evil to elevate it. He names it for what it is. It's darkness, things that should not even be named among us, much less be participated in. In love, God seeks to bind up the broken, the fallen, the sinful, the shameful, and bring them into the fruit of love, which is the fruit of his spirit. And so we have a sense in Scripture that all these words are basically the same. To walk in life, to walk in love, to walk in light is to be filled with the Spirit, is to be walking and living in the Spirit of God, is to practice the presence of God, is to pray without ceasing. All these things are one and the same thing. Walk in love, walk in light, walk in love. I promise to come back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Back in 2012, 2013, Debbie and I were going through a pretty rough season of life. I was teaching at a university where they had basically uh, had invited us in, but then they were, had a group of people who wanted to invite us out. And so within six years, 10 individuals were brought in to broaden the capacity of the university to be more centrist evangelical. They had a fundamentalist backlash, and they just drove us out. It was painful. It was horrendous. It was inhospitable and quite horrible. So during that time, as Debbie and I were coming toward the end of our time there, we were really seeking God's face, and at the same time, we were also uh, on our journey to becoming Anglican. I say we were driven from Baptist fundamentalism and drawn to historic Anglicanism. And as we were walking through that time, we were just listening and trying to say, God, what are you doing? What do you want us to do? And there was a time at which I just spoke words to Debbie, and I said, Debbie, I don't know. I don't think we're making decisions. I don't think I'm making decisions. I think we're just being led. And she agreed, and so we said, let's keep walking. It wasn't easy, but we knew we were walking in God's life, in love, God's love, and God's light. During this season, I was having a, an internal conversation one particular night, and I had come in this tradition and had experienced in the past. I've, I've been on a journey as far as appraising what charismatic Christianity meant. And uh, I was taught in my Baptist fundamentalist world that that was not of God and that it was of demonic realms, and that was my spirit. And I was at a point in life where I was saying, you know what, I'm sorry. Too much has happened for good. Too much has happened of truth. Too much has happened of the unity of the church to say that that's evil. I knew my pneumatology. I knew my doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I could teach it to you. I taught it for years, and so I knew as a professor what the Spirit of God was and is and does and his person, relationship to the Trinity, but as I prayed that night, I said, God, I don't really feel like I know the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to me. I lay there in bed and I said, do I get up and read papers and grade papers and read or do I stay in bed and pray? And I stayed in bed and prayed. And I kept praying that prayer. And as what happens when you usually pray in bed, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> About 6 o'clock in the morning, I, I think it's right about there, inside my head, in King James English tone, it wasn't exactly the King James Version, it said, Awake thou sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It was loud, it was inside my head, and it was penetrating. And I'm there, what is that? 
And I went downstairs, and I said, I, I think I know where that text is. And I asked myself, does it relate somehow to the prayer I prayed last night about knowing the Holy Spirit? And I went down, and I had prepared my coffee, and I went to my Bible, and I started searching for that passage. And I knew it was in Ephesians, and I thought chapter 5, and it was 5.14. And I began examining that context and that passage, and I realized, hey, Ephesians 5.18 is just four verses away, five verses away, and it's, be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I said, well, maybe there's a correlation between those two things. I tucked that away, nothing else happened. Days, weeks, months. We still struggle. We still face our plight, but we sense God's with us. Toward the fall of that year, I'm again asleep about the same time in the morning. And outside of my head, I heard an audible voice. You awake? I'm there. What? It was a male voice. And I tapped Debbie. I said, did you say something? (laughs) I was like... Of course she didn't say something. It was a male voice outside my head, loud in the room, and she's dead asleep. And I wake her up and ask her, did she say something? No, she didn't. So there I am. I'm thinking, oh, I'm wide awake now. So I go down and I start making my coffee. And as I'm making my coffee, I, I, I draw the correlation, duh. You awake, goes back to Ephesians 5, 14, six months earlier or so. Awake thou sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine. I said, ha, ah, those two experiences go together. This audible voice I'm hearing from God correlates. Then I go over and I get my coffee, my breakfast. I sit down to my computer. I open up to Mission St. Clair. Didn't have a daily office 2019 at that time. Mission St. Clair did the same thing of listing out the scriptures and all the morning prayer you can work your way through on the computer. And the reading for that morning, for the New Testament reading, was Ephesians chapter 5. And it ended... Awake thou sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) I honestly can tell you I don't have clarity on what that fully means. But somehow I feel like I knew I was in God's presence, and somehow I was listening to God, and my ears were perked, and my attention was there, and I'm waiting on God. And the five years since that time, or more, it's been almost 10, it's been 10 years since that time, haven't been total clarity. And yet, I sense that we've been walking in God's life, walking in God's love, and walking in God's light. It doesn't mean everything turns rosy, easy. So after all this, what do I have to give you? What do I offer to you as a takeaway this morning? I just encourage a posture. I recommend a disposition of heart as you walk your days and as you live your life before God. Recognizing that you you can walk in God's life. Recognizing that God's life is all around you. Take a walk out in nature and just experience it and let 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 it just fill you that, wow, this is God's creation. Fallen as it is, it's the beauty of his creation. And just bask in his, li- his life. Walk in and listen to his love. Take it with you to your office meetings and to your classrooms and to your doctor's visits and to the shopping experience that you have and say, what would love do in this context? What would love do in this meeting where I feel so much animosity between <laughs> other players in this, in this business? 
Walk in and listening to God's light. Shining a light in the darkness, yours first, then others. Practicing God's presence in life, in love, and in light. Try one, then try another, then try the other, and keep repeating that. And eventually over time, what probably will happen is that all three will blend together and you are constantly walking in God's life, in God's love, and in God's light. That's the best I have to give you at this point in my experience of listening to God. So let me end with this collect. O God, the life of the souls that seek you, the love of the hearts that worship you, and the light of the minds that know you, and the strength of the wills that serve you, help us so to seek you that we may know you, to know you that we may truly love you, and so to love you that we may fully serve you, whom to serve is perfect freedom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.